<laughs> so anyways, there I was, and uh, I need the stand-up comedy mic there, so yeah, it's good to be here. Creep Hall says hello. I've been going back and forth this morning, was here at nine, um, but as Elliot said, uh, started a series, y'all started it last week, we started it this week at Creep Hall called Be Curious in Search of the Real Jesus, um, and I think whoever titled that, I can't remember which one of the pastors titled that, is keeping in, in line with our theme of, of connecting everything to Ted Lasso uh, this year somehow. So I'm working on the summer series that's gonna be called Be a Goldfish, <laughs> Leaving a Life of Shame, okay? So tune in for this summer. But no, in all seriousness, we'll be in these, uh, in, in search of the real Jesus, curious about the real Jesus, looking at different encounters and interactions that people had with Jesus and how experiencing the real Jesus changed and transformed their lives. And a big part of why we're doing that, why we're looking at these encounters and doing this series is because I think this is true about me. I believe it's true about the people that I've, I meet with on a regular basis. It's very easy to have ideas about or beliefs about or kind of drift into a framework of thinking about Jesus that is really actually incongruent with who he truly is with what he really said, with how he actually really lived or engaged people or how he calls us to live. It's very easy to have ideas about Jesus that are incongruent with how he is revealed in scripture. And in fact, if I'm honest with myself, I actually even like and kind of want to have ideas about Jesus that aren't really true. I like having ideas about him that kind of fits into the mold of how I want my life to go. It's been a while since I've uh, quoted uh, Talladega Nights. It should be in at least quarterly in sermon illustrations, right? Come on, y'all, am I dating myself by saying Talladega Nights? <laughs> yeah, the, the kind of the Ricky Bobby or Cal philosophy. Remember when he says they have the big table dinner and they're talking about praying to baby Jesus or bearded Jesus or six-pound, two-ounce Jesus, and Cal says, you know, I like my Jesus to wear a tuxedo t-shirt, right? Because I, I like it that it says it's formal, but he also likes to party, and I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party, right? So that idea, I like having ideas. I like formal Jesus, but I like party Jesus because I like to party. I like having ideas about Jesus that actually aren't really true. I, I can kind of curate those. And the scary thing about that is this. I could actually find myself... If I get away from scripture, I could find myself worshiping or following a Jesus of my own imagination. That I could be following a culturally hijacked Jesus or a culturally appropriated Jesus or a domesticated Jesus, the Jesus I like following, rather than the Jesus as he is revealed to us in God's word. And so it's good for us. I mean, we're, we're all gonna struggle with that. It's good for us to come back to these gospel encounters so we ourselves can kind of have a recalibrating, fresh encounter with Jesus and really ask ourselves, is the Jesus that I claim to follow or the Jesus that I claim to be in relationship, is that the real Jesus? So this, this first encounter, I guess this is our first encounter, Creepall, this is the second encounter. Y'all looked at one last week in John 1, I believe. This first encounter is Jesus, second encounter for y'all, First for us, right? Sorry, back and forth. Jesus calling his disciples, and we're gonna look specifically at this interaction that he has with Peter. Luke wrote the, the part that we're about to read in Luke 5. Luke wrote his book, his gospel. He said that it's an orderly 
and it's how he starts it. Orderly, accurate account. He carefully investigated everything from the beginning because he wanted what he was going to put down to be accurate, to be true. I really want to represent who Jesus is to you. So that was Luke's value when he wrote this book. But a little context before we, we launch into Jesus calling his first disciples in this interaction with Peter, I just want to kind of put this in where it fits within the gospel. Jesus' earthly ministry at this point is just getting rolling. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist. Remember this moment where a voice from heaven basically spoke out and people who were present heard it, where a voice from heaven confirms, this is my son, this is God's son, this is divinity, right? This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. That is announced. Yeah, that's a demarcating moment in scripture where it's like, okay, God's son, Jesus, is here. It's confirming his identity. And immediately after his baptism, he gets taken out into the desert to basically have this kind of spiritual wrestling match with the devil where the devil basically challenges him on that very identity. Tests him, prove your identity to me. Do this, do that. Tries to manipulate him and control him. And Jesus is hungry and he's tired. And they go through this entire thing where Satan's trying to get him to basically do what Satan wants him to do. Prove your identity, 40 days and 40 nights, right after his baptism. And then right after that, he goes to his hometown, Nazareth. So Jesus is already kind of making waves. People are starting to get to know who he is. There's a little bit of buzz going on. And people from his hometown, they kind of go from fanboy moment to furious because Jesus goes to the synagogue, and he's basically starting to announce, this is what I'm here to do. He reads from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 4, 18 through 19. He stands up, he gets out the scroll. That's what they had in those days. He gets out this big scroll, and he basically reads this. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when he finishes reading that, he rolls it up. This is the mic drop moment, except it was a scroll, scroll drop, right? Drops the scroll, and he says to everybody who's listening, this has been fulfilled today in you hearing this. Which is basically saying this, this prophet who prophesied hundreds of years ago about this year of the Lord's favor and this one who was coming to set the captives free and sight for the blind and, and basically liberate everybody, that's me. I'm that guy. That's what I've come to do. That is my mission. It's me. I'm here. So you can imagine, people are pumped, right? If you're a Jewish person, you're like, all right, this is sweet. Let's get this rolling, right? So let, let's see, like, what, what can you do? Let's, let's see some blind people get in sight. Let's see some captives getting free. But Jesus understands their hearts. He knows what's going on in their hearts. And he does something profoundly counterintuitive. Like, if you were trying to get your platform moving and a bunch of momentum going, wouldn't you start doing it, right? He doesn't do that. He actually rebukes them. He quotes some other Old Testament passages from Israel's past that they would have known very well. And he basically says to them, you're right, I am that guy and that's what I'm coming to do. But you're like your ancestors. And just like they resisted and rejected the prophets, that's what you're gonna do to me. He rebukes them in their own synagogue to the point to where it literally says they rush him out to a cliff and they're gonna throw him off a cliff fanboy to like furious right who are you to say this about us and it, it's kind of mysterious it basically says and they went to take him to the cliff and he walked right through them I, I kind of imagine like a Disney moment or like Yoda just kind of like moves the crowd aside and he walks right through them 
And he goes on to keep preaching and calling some disciples. So that's where we're at, all right? Here we go. We're going to read. Whew. Luke 5, 1 to 11. Take a drink. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've been working hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and they left everything and they followed him. The word of the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, um, teach us. Reveal yourself to us. Help us encounter you as you were encountering Peter. Um, we know what's true for him is true for us. Uh, so speak to us, lead us, guide us. Uh, capture our hearts, we pray in your name. Amen. So three things. Every time we come to these encounters, I would encourage you, we're looking at these and saying, what is Jesus up to in this encounter? Like he's, Jesus is not like haphazard. He's very intentional when he does something, right? So what's he up to? What's he getting at in this encounter? And then secondly, what do we learn about ourselves, about human beings, what it means to be a human in these encounters? What's it say about him? What's it say about us? So three things we're gonna kind of look at as we walk through this passage. These are just tidy little headers, so hopefully they'll mean something by the time we're done. Catch and release, for those of you who like to fish. Catch and release, fishing, all right? Catch and release. Secondly, deeper water. What is this invitation out into deeper water? And then thirdly, what we see at the end, which is that they're actually freed now to leave. They're actually set free to leave, okay? Catch and release, deeper water, free to leave. Catch and release. So I love how this starts. It says there in verse, you know, 5-1, one, one day as Jesus was just standing by, or he doesn't say just, was standing by the lake of the Gennesaret. So I just want us to pause for a second and, and just acknowledge this. He's like, one day, this is literally just another day for these guys who are going out fishing. This was their life. This was their livelihood. I want you to think about yourself and what you get up and do just any other day. Driving to school today. Going to my job today. It's just another day. We're fishermen, so we're out fishing. We're cleaning our nets. They were done for the day. They were washing and inspecting their nets, which is something they would have done every single day, some rote task that was involved in their work. They were tired. It says there that they've been up all night. 
And these, these nets, you know, we think in terms of like fishing with poles or fishing with rods or even like casting a net. These nets were massive nets. They were like the size of this room sort of nets. They were thousand pound nets, a hundred feet long. So like folding and cleaning and inspecting these things was a massive, massive task. It was backbreaking work that you had to do with other people. They're just doing that. It's just one day, just another day. And yet it isn't just one day, is it? This is a day that Jesus is about to step into their lives and change the trajectory of their lives forever in this moment. Jesus is teaching by the lake. This is what he's been doing already now, right? He's teaching the word of God. People at this time are saying he's teaching with authority that nobody has ever seen before. So a crowd is gathered listening. These guys are over there mending their nets, working. You don't even get the sense that they're actually paying attention. Maybe they know that something is going on and Jesus does something pretty crazy here. It, it, you know, we kind of read it and we just read over it, but it's actually pretty significant. He decides, doesn't ask, he decides to get into Peter's boat. He doesn't ask him, he just gets in. He says, I'm going to turn the shoreline into my own little red rocks, right? Amphitheater, like, let's back up here. My voice will carry over the water better. But he doesn't ask, he just gets in. And we read stuff like that, and oftentimes we're kind of like, okay, is that just a fact in the story, or is there something maybe more significant? And I would argue that there's something profoundly more significant, that the fact that Jesus doesn't actually go talk to Peter and say, hey, man, I've got this idea. Maybe we should kind of go out. What do you think about that? And can I possibly, you know, borrow your boat for a little while? He just gets in. This isn't just a fact about what occurred in this story in this moment, something very significant, I would argue, about how salvation works, how your relationship with Jesus works. What was this little girl's name? Millie? How mi- what we even just did when we baptized Millie, right? Jesus is already coming after Millie by putting her in this family, right? It's a physical picture, Jesus getting in Peter's boat, of a spiritual reality And that's true for Peter and it's true for us. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you didn't say, hey Jesus, come get into my boat. That's not how this works. If you understand your nature, and Peter clearly does at the end of this interaction, your brokenness and your sinfulness, you would never ask him to get in your boat. I don't want him to be Lord of my boat. I want to be Lord of my boat. Jesus climbs into Peter's boat. That is a declaration, the whole gospel in one sentence. Jesus climbs in your boat. He chooses you to follow him. Yes, scripture says this, Elliot just said it a second ago. He chooses us and comes after us to save us from our sin, which Peter becomes very aware of here later on in the action in the interaction, save us from our sin and from the wages of sin, but he actually just doesn't come to save us from something, he comes to save us to something. What he's doing with Peter here, I'm, I'm saving you to a life now to live in relationship with me, in my love, with new purpose, with new direction. That's what's going on in this story. I'm coming to catch you, Peter. I'm coming to catch you. You are my mission. I'm on a mission to set the, the captives free. You're the one who's captive, Peter. You're the one who's spiritually blind, Peter. My mission is first for you, and then after I do something for you, I'm going to take you on mission with me. 
I'm here to proclaim the good news, and you're going to become a good news ambassador. You're going to become a billboard of my grace and my love because I got into your boat and I chose that. Don't you see, Peter? I'm stepping into your life. That's what Jesus does for you, for me. He steps into whatever our days consist of, our everyday, our ordinary, our good and necessary things, and he's saying, I am bringing myself, my life, purpose, and meaning and direction into you. I'm fishing for you. I'm catching you. And then I'm gonna catch other people through you. So practically, let me just say this for a second. What this means for you for me is that if Jesus has gotten into my boat there's actually it's not just so I can have a personal relationship with him that is true I do have that but there's something bigger going on here he has actually caught me captured my heart to release me for other people's good you're going to fish for other people now so he's caught Peter so that he can release Peter he's caught us so that he can release us to fish. So how did he catch Peter? Let's keep going through the story. He caught him by taking him out into deeper water. Deeper water. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, this is verse four, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. It's been, I, honestly, it's been about three years I've been meditating and thinking off and on. I'm not three years consistently. I'm definitely not that spiritual. Um, y'all, come on, laugh a little bit here. Uh, deeper water. That, that phrase. Like, I don't know enough about, like, were they fishing in the shallow end or in a certain part of the, of the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and... But when, when I think about deeper water, it reminds me of like being a child. I grew up, we had, a, we had a lake close to my hometown. I ended up being a lifeguard there, but it was not nice. It's not a swimming pool. It was like, put your hand about this far deep and you can't see your hand anymore, so they're gross, right? And so deeper water was where scary things happened. Deep, like, I can kind of touch the bottom here, but once you got out into the deep water, that's where basically I'm not in control anymore. I don't know what's under the surface. I don't know if the little fish are going to be nibbling on me. Like, who knows? Deeper water was scary. But I actually think that's what Jesus is doing right now. He's saying, I want you to put out into deeper water because I want to do something out there in the deep that you have to experience. We got to get out there. I got to take you into deeper water. So they've already all, you know, we already said this, but they've already been fishing all night. They were tired If I were Peter, and remember, I'm the master fisherman, right? Jesus is a carpenter. So he's telling me, wait, I want you to unfold all those nets that you've just spent all this time cleaning and putting away, and we're going to head out into deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. I would be thinking if I were Peter, is this really necessary? Like, is this going to be fruitful? Like, what's the point? And this would be the equivalent, there will be people at the Super Bowl you definitely can't afford to go to the Super Bowl if you're not successful, right? Like you saw, have you seen any of the ticket prices? Like if you're going to the Super Bowl and you have a suite, that probably means you're like the CEO of a serious company, like a manufacturing company. This would be like a CEO from a manufacturing company going down from his suite onto the field and tapping Sean McVay on the shoulder, the Rams coach, and going, hey man, I'd love to run the offense for this quarter. 
Like that's probably how this felt for Peter. Like, hey, wait, what? You want us to go back out fishing. We're the ones who fish all the time. We didn't catch anything. This isn't even the right time of day to go fishing. But that's not what Peter says, is it? That's not how he responds. What does he say? He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Master. Now that term, I mean, we don't use that term (laughs) at all anymore, but what that term would have meant in that day, I mean, it was pretty normal for for people to be a disciple of somebody, to follow somebody and treat somebody like their master. This was an acknowledgement of Peter, at least in this moment, of saying, I actually am curious about following you. I'm, I'm curious in what you're about to do right now because you say so, because it's you that's saying this. I'll actually do this. Because you say so, we will. And actually, we will do this even when it's tough and it's demanding for them to get out those nets again would have been tough and demanding, going against his desire and his senses. He says it right there. We've been up all night. We didn't catch anything. This is a good indicator. When you see and you feel and you watch something moving in you that is calling you to do something counterintuitive, going against what you think, going against your senses, going even against your desires. I've been up all night, I don't want to do this, but I'll go. That's actually the litmus test for when faith and God is at work in the heart of an individual is when I say I'm going to go and I'm going to surrender even when it doesn't make sense to me because I think I know what's best, but you must know something I don't know. Master, because you say so, will go. And they do. And what happens? They just take that step, just a baby step. We'll put the nets back in, we'll go back out, we'll let the nets down. And what happens is what? A miraculous catch. When they've done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So much so that they had to signal to another boat, hey guys, come on over here. We need help with what's going on because their boats were sinking. I love that they don't tell the number of fish. I mean, there are other places in Scripture that uh, like, oh, they caught 153 fish or this or that. They don't tell the number of fish because that's not the picture that's trying to be painted here by Luke. The point isn't the number of fish that they caught. The point is, is that something supernatural is happening in this catch. And Jesus is revealing himself to be something far greater than master. It's what Peter eventually calls him after the catch, which is Lord. You see the shift? He goes from like, hey, you're kind of the cool new teacher, the hot new ticket in town. I'm interested in hearing what you have to say to like, no, 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 no. You're Lord. You're Lord of the fish. You're Lord of this moment. You're Lord of our lives. We've just seen and experienced something that is absolutely inexplicable. And when you get into the presence of the Lord, this is part of what Jesus is saying in this catch. When I take you into deep water and you see me for who I am, Lord, it is going to push you beyond your capacity. It is going to make your nets feel like they're about to break. It's not about the number of fish in the boat. You are the fish, Peter. You're being caught and you're being called into a completely new identity. And from now on, you're going to follow me and it's going to feel like this. You know this. 
deeper water, when I go out and follow Jesus into places that are not comfortable, that are scary for me, this was just the beginning of deeper water for the rest of their lives. They were in the deep end of the pool from here on out. Because that's what it means to follow him. To have faith in him, it's to leave the boats, which was a physical expression of a spiritual reality. I'm leaving my comfort zone. I'm leaving what's predictable. I'm leaving being in charge of my life. I'm leaving my agenda for my life. I'm leaving being self-sufficient and just doing what I can do to pay the bills being a fisherman. I'm leaving to follow you. You see, the catch of fish, it wasn't the biggest catch. Something way bigger than the fish was being caught in this moment. He was capturing them, their hearts, their minds, their imaginations. And he's saying, I have to capture you. I have to do something for you. And I have to do something in you before I ever do something through you. So this miraculous catch, this physical reality, this this miracle that Jesus did, you would think in this moment, oh my goodness, okay, Lord, here we go. This is awesome. We We are being caught up in this huge story. But that's not what we see in Peter. This deep physical water that he had been taken out to in this miraculous catch, it actually led to the deep spiritual water of Peter's heart. And what do we see in Peter? When he understands who Jesus is, when he sees Jesus for who he truly is, he sees himself for who he truly is. When he sees him as Lord, what does he say? Lord, get away from me. Why? because I'm a sinful man. You see, the boat was sinking, but there was something else that was sinking. Peter was sinking. Peter's heart was sinking. His heart was swamped with the shame of his sin, the weight of his sin. And he was saying something that is true. When you come into the presence of the Lord, my sin and my shame, that, that creates distance between us. It separates us. But Peter's doing something with his shame that Jesus is saying, I'm actually coming here to step right into the middle of this problem. Peter is using his sin and his shame. He's assuming something about his sin and his shame. That distance can't be closed. Get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus, he isn't going anywhere. He's saying, no, 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 Peter, that's why I got into the boat. I've come for that very reason. For that sin and for that shame, for that deepest need, your deepest brokenness, that's why I'm here. You think this disqualifies you from relationship for me? This doesn't disqualify you at all. It actually qualifies you. It's your sin and your shame that actually is the bridge that helps you know that you need my grace. You need my love. You need my forgiveness. You need me. You needed me to get in your boat because without me getting into your boat, you would never get rid of that shame. Peter, if you know anything about Peter's life, he would have to learn this lesson again and again and again. Peter was always vacillating between shame and pride, right? Peter was always like, man, I don't deserve anything. I'm horrible, I'm horrible. Or Peter was the guy who was bragging. Remember at the end of the Gospels, Everybody else was kind of peeling away and Peter's making these huge promises to Jesus. Like, I swear, even if everybody else leaves you, I'm never gonna leave you, man. And then that little girl comes to him by the barrel fire and she's like, I think he knows Jesus. And he's like, I don't know Jesus at all. Leave me alone. And then the rooster crows and he has the pet rooster and everything's broken. (laughs) Peter was always 
vacillating between shame and pride. And there's a reason, because shame and pride are the same thing. Shame is, I blew it. Pride is, I didn't blow it until I do blow it, and then I'm back in shame. It's two sides of the same coin. Peter was constantly vacillating between these two. But at the end of John, after he has betrayed Jesus, went from the pride mountain of, I'll never quit, I'll never leave you until he did. When he sees Jesus on the shore in John 21, because he's out fishing again, and he sees Jesus on that shore, he doesn't say, go away from me. He jumps out of the boat and he swims towards him because he understood something about the Lord now. That sin, that shame, that's not what disqualifies me from relationship from you. It's actually what qualifies me. I can move towards you and you will love and forgive and receive me. You see, when he calls you and I out into deeper water, when he gets in your boat, it's actually natural. You will experience some form of fear or sinking because if you see him for who he truly is, not how you like thinking about him or your imagination, if you see him as Lord, you should feel a sense of weight and gravity about your sin. You are other than me. It doesn't matter how hard I try. You are holy. You are Yahweh. You are God. But guess what? You don't have to and I don't have to do what Peter said. Get away from me because he doesn't want to get away from you. He wants to move towards you. He says, I see how, I see you clearly. You're bare, you're just kind of seeing your sin. I see the whole enchilada. That doesn't disqualify you and it doesn't dissuade me. I want to get in your boat for that very reason. I've come to heal your shame and I've come to free you from a life of pride. Either of those things being your identity. I've come so that you can live in my grace, you can live in my mercy, you can live in my love, you can live in right relationship with me. And I'd argue this, it's why Peter, I mean Peter, Jesus said that you're upon this rock, Peter, I'm gonna build my church. You're gonna play a significant role in the church's origins and being built upon this guy who struggled with shame and struggled with pride and I think this is why. Why Peter actually was gonna be such an effective fisherman is because God knew this. Every single day, you and I are swimming in one of those two ponds. I'm either swimming in the pond of shame and of failure, what I've blown it. Every single one of you walked in, in here feeling something not good about some part of your life where you've blown it. Or you walked in here feeling really good about some part of your life where you're knocking it out of the park until you don't knock it out of the park and then you can go back over to the pond of shame. Right? It's where we live. If you don't live in the gospel, you're living in one of those two things. You gotta understand that. You're either living in shame or you're living in pride. And God shows this guy, Peter, and he's saying, I'm coming to actually catch you so that I'm gonna turn you loose and you're gonna become a phenomenal fisherman because you understand both of those bodies of water well. You're gonna know how to fish for people because you're so familiar with shame and with pride and you know that the only healing for those two lives is Jesus it's the gospel. That's the fly on your fly rod. It's the only thing that's going to catch you and drag you out of the pond of shame and the pond of pride. And Peter, he knew how to read the stream. If you know how to fish, you know this, that 10% of the fish live, or sorry, 100% of the fish live in 10% of the water. You just go fishing. You don't just go fishing. You've got to know how to read the stream. Well, Peter was a master by the end of this at reading shame and pride and understanding where the gospel needs to go. It's what made him such an effective fisherman is it's not, hey, I gotta get it all right so I can be in right relationship with Jesus. No, 
Peter's own need of Jesus and his love and his forgiveness, that was actually what made him a master fisherman. It's what makes us one. Jesus is not saying, I wanna, I wanna get you so perfect so you can get out there and be fishermen. No, I want you to get so aware of how broken you are and how in need of me you are. That's what's gonna make you so attractive to the world around you is you get the gospel. So he caught him to release him. And he took him into deeper water, deeper than his shame, which is about as deep. I mean, Peter, man, that was like a Marianas Trench deep for Peter. He took him into deeper water than his shame and into the deep love and the embrace of God. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not getting away from you. You don't tell me what to do. I am here in your boat to heal you of that. And he set him free now to leave his life of just being a fisherman. It's not that he never fished again, but he gave everything he did a completely different purpose. And so what did they do? They pulled their boats on shore and they left everything. Which when you read this, I don't know about you, when I read this, I start feeling guilty. I'm like, leave everything? Like, what does that even mean? Are we all supposed to like lock the doors and become monks all together like this little cultish commune of, of, of asceticism? Uh, I would just... I would just challenge you to think of it like this, that leaving everything for them in this moment was just a physical representation of this spiritual reality again that was happening in their lives, which means I, to follow Jesus means I am going to have to walk away from something. It's gonna mean leaving something, maybe something that is my everything to me. Because for them, fishing was everything to them. So you may have something that you feel like, man, I just cannot let go of that. And maybe Jesus is saying, hey, I've climbed into your boat because I'm taking you out into deep water because I want you to leave that thing that you call your everything. Not because I don't ever want you to do it again, because it's not meant to be your everything. I am. It was a physical representation of a shift. I'm gonna walk away from things. And that would have been hard for them. They're fishermen and they caught this many fish. This is like a good quarter in the stock market, right? Like big haul, mucho money, right? No, they walk away and Why? Because I'm not just walking away from that. I'm walking towards something that is offering me a better identity than all of that. So they left their comfort. They left their control. They left their agenda for their lives. They left their truth to follow Jesus. So for us, really practically, what this can look like, maybe you feel like sin and shame defines your life. I think a lot of people struggle with that. My sin, my past, the things I've done, that is what defines me. Would you dare to let Jesus catch you, climb into your boat, take you out into deep water and say, you are free from living a life that is defined by sin and by shame. That is not what defines you. Me being in your boat is what defines you. And if I'm in your boat, I'm in your boat because I love you. It's marked by my forgiveness, my grace, my mercy. So leave a life of shame. Leave the familiar, the comfort zone, the control. That's hard for me. I love comfort. Right? I, I love things being easy. But, but Jesus is, is not always in the easy. He's oftentimes out there in the place where it's going to push us a little bit. Would you leave seeing some of your moments in life as sacred and some as secular? Some of you in here are like, well, this is my sacred time. And, you know, after lunch, or, you know, tonight at the Super Bowl when I'm three beers in, right? That's secular. No. Remember, it was just another day. Every single day. When Jesus is in your boat is a moment for something sacred to be occurring. What is he calling you to leave? What parts of your life, in the pond of your life, are you saying, 
man, I just don't want to go out there into deeper water because the shallow water, it's safe, it's predictable, and I can control it. What is deeper water for you? And would you dare to believe he's, he's already in the boat he's saying, come on, there's something out here. If you're like me, I don't want to get to this point. I don't want my boat to sink. I don't want my nets to break. I, I want things to be safe, and I want them to be predictable. I like balance. I want big catch, no sink. Yeah, there is no big catch, no sink with Jesus. And remember, he walks on water. So sinking ain't sinking, right? We believe in resurrection around here. Dying is the pathway to new life. Not big catch, no sink. Let's sink, because I'm with the Lord of the universe. He catches us to release us, and not just for our good, for others. He takes us into deeper water to heal us. He wants to heal you of your sin and your shame. Would you let him? He also wants to heal you of your pride. And he wants to free you to leave what you need to leave. There's probably something you need to leave that he's saying, I want to, I want to free you from that so that you actually can follow me. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for our brother Peter, who I can relate to so well. Um, it's just so true. I would have never asked you to get into my boat. I don't want you to be Lord of my boat. My flesh wants to be master of my own boat. And yet, uh, like you're already moving into Millie's life through her family, you moved into our lives and you moved into Peter's life. He climbed in the boat and said, here we go. We're going out into the deep. And I'm gonna do something out here in the deep that's gonna probably scare you um, and it's gonna challenge your need to control everything, but I'm doing this to actually set you free from being someone who is defined by your sin and your shame and being someone who believes that that stands between us. That's what I came for. That's what you're saying to us, Lord. You came that there would be no more distance. Would you set us free? That we'd be a community of believers who are so attractive because we are not trapped in the net of the world. Living just like we follow everybody and everything else. Now we're followers of you. Would you make that true? In your name, amen.